One of the basic things that every Christian should know that I find very fascinating is the reality that Scripture knows itself. Scripture recognizes and understands Scripture, and Scripture will quote itself. Now, for you and I, we come to the Bible, and uh, we, we, have a, we have a book, and all of the writings are collected in this book, and to us, that's the Bible. But at the time of the writing of the New Testament, which is a process over nearly 100 years, not quite 100 years, they are aware of Scripture in the first century that is as old as a millennium. A thousand years separates them from the earliest writings. And it may be about 200 years that separates them from the latest Scriptures. I mean, at the most, uh, 200 years. Uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, at the least 200 years. Um, think about that. The, the, the distance in time between you and George Washington is their distance in time from what they call Scripture. But now the process of Scripture writing is happening again and they're starting to recognize this, that there's something going on. What's the difference? What is the change in the first century that causes them to read centuries-old Scripture differently? Basic answer, Jesus Christ. The, the church, those who come from the, um, uh, the tribes of Israel, the Jews who became followers of Jesus, and that made up part of the first century church, or the, the Gentiles, who become followers of Christ, uh, which is the new thing that they're trying to understand as well in the first century. As they come together, they're reading the same Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, but they're understanding it differently because they recognize that something has happened in their time, and that's the, the gospel event, that what God has done in Jesus Christ and, and, and what he is continuing to do in Jesus Christ is happening right there in their midst. And so they're going to look at Scripture differently. I want to give you an ex uh, something to look at here. This is, this is, something, uh, this is one of those Scriptures that, that gets looked at over and over again in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110. And um, don't really know the process that the, the Psalms circulated. They were part of Scripture. Some of the oldest Scripture is in the Psalms. And I, I guess something about Psalm 110, along with some other writings in the Hebrew Bible, were picked up by the early church, and they began to read it, and they found Christ in it. Now, they already knew Christ. They, they understood this. And yes, they are reading Christ back into the text. Now, most scholars would tell you that that's not the appropriate or the uh, way to read scripture that you have to read it for what it's worth but that's our enlightenment thinking that's our modernist approach to scripture you and I would definitely go back and look at history or look at other writings if some event happened and we're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to understand how it fits all of the universe together 
That's what they're doing with Scripture and their understanding and their reality of Jesus Christ. I want to read Psalm 110. Now remember, this is written a thousand years before Jesus, something in that neighborhood. Um, and when this psalm is first being sung and later on being written, it's, no one at that time is thinking that this is about Jesus. It's about something. And if you told them that it's about a Messiah that's going to appear a thousand years later, they wouldn't be impressed. So it does mean something on one level, at the level at which this psalm is, is, is living and alive and in the process of being sung and written. It's a psalm of David, is what Jesus says. And so David meant something by it. But then it comes to mean more. Psalm 110 says, The Lord... Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right side until I make your enemies into a footstool for you. The Lord will let your power reach out from Zion and you will rule over your enemies. Your glorious power will be seen on the day you begin to rule. You will wear the sacred robes and shine like the morning sun in all of your strength. The Lord has made a promise that will never be broken. You will be a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. My Lord is at your right side, and when he gets angry, he will crush the other kings. He will judge the nations and crack their skulls, leaving piles of dead bodies all over the earth. He will drink from any stream that he chooses while winning victory after victory. Well, the psalm right here at the end uh, gets a bit rough, and uh, this, is, this is the contemporary English version, and it's my favorite, because I, I think this song was meant to have a lot of boasting in it. This business of the Lord said to my Lord, which Lord is which? Well, what we have there is the Lord Yahweh, God said to my Lord, but this is Lord with a, with a little L. All right. So my earthly master, my earthly ruler, my king, the Lord told my king the following, or you might translate it, God said to my king. It's much more poetic to say the Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. And, and, and that's a way of referencing that, that my king, my Lord, follows the Lord. And, and so later on when uh, it says, my Lord, my king, is at your right side, that's directed to Yahweh, to God. He's right there. And, and, and this, this psalm is a, on, on the first level a royal psalm. This is the kind of song that, that the people who follow a king of Israel would sing. This might be a song that David sang when he was one of King Saul's you know, devoted champions. And, and it becomes, a, it becomes a, a, a patriotic song. This is something they sing to remember that they, their lord, their king 
uh, has been given a special message by God, and they're going to win victory after victory. Um, He's going to rule. Why? Because God set him up to rule. And so you follow the poetry and the message of the psalm, and it's saying our king is God's king, and he's right there next to God. I think this, you know, this, this song had a life beyond just that. Surely it did. Can't you imagine the people who, who, who rally around David when David is the king and they're saying, you know, David wrote this and you know it's true. He's the apple of God's eye. And so this idea of the king, our king, my king, my lord, becoming this um, king who's got this special relationship with the Lord becomes the theme of this song. Okay, and so it is for centuries. Then, when groups of people realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, or Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, he's God's eternal king. Now you begin to to read this psalm and you realize, wait a second, there's a lot going on in there that still applies. And and so we start to look at this psalm again and we begin to see Christ in it because Jesus wasn't the Messiah we were expecting. I'm speaking from the perspective of a first century uh, believer, probably a, a Jewish believer who is expecting a Messiah who's going to ride in on his uh, white horse and he's going to save us from the Romans and we're all going to go to war, but God will be on our side. But then we find out that his way of winning battles and his way of, of uh, doing things is very different than what we imagined. And it's not less than what we imagined, it's more than what we imagined. It's better, it's final, it's eternal. Okay, so we, we discover all that. And so then... We're coming together in those meetings and we start reading this, this scripture and we've got scripture. We've got the Psalms and we, we're reading this one as we're assembled together and we begin to see our Lord Jesus Christ in it. The Lord God said to my Lord, wait, our Lord is the Christ, the one true king, the king of kings. This still applies. Sit at my right side until I make your enemies into a footstool for you. He's exalted at the right hand of God. His enemy was death. He's overcome that enemy. His enemy was the evil one, was sin. He's overcome that. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Lord will let your power reach out from Zion, Jerusalem. You'll rule over your enemies from there. Your glorious power will be seen on the day you begin to rule. You'll wear the sacred robe, shine like the morning sun. Depending on where we're at in time, maybe we've heard the the maybe we've heard read to us the letter from John on Patmos, where he has a vision of the risen Lord who shines like the sun. All of a sudden, this imagery it all starts coming together. Lord's made a promise that will never be broken. You'll be a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. Not only is he king, he's also priest. My Lord's at your right side. 
that image again. He's exalted to the right hand of God. You'll see him at the right hand of God. And when he gets angry, he'll crush the other kings. Wait a second. He told us not to be violent. So now, we're, now we might back off a little bit. He'll, crack, he'll judge the nations. Ah, that's true. Crack the skulls. We're going to leave that to him, leaving piles of dead bodies all over the earth. He'll drink from any stream he chooses while winning victory after victory. Now, what's interesting is this is one of those examples where the Bible knows the Bible. Scripture knows Scripture. Um, oh, I've lost my uh, slide. That, but anyway, um, there is um, there are numerous texts that use Psalm 110. Um, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, there's there's two occasions where this where this text comes up. Um, First is when Jesus is being asked by the, uh, the Pharisees or the crowd, what are the greatest commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. And then he asks them a question, and it's a test based on Psalm 110. He says, oh, okay, how is it then that the Lord can say to my Lord, Sit at my right hand side until I make your enemies into a footstool. And he says, who will the Messiah be? Now, he's asking the questions, and they're answering. They say the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. That was the expectation. Okay. But David wrote this. How can David be talking about his own descendant? Jesus is pointing them to the reality that what's really being said in this psalm may refer to a Christ, the Christ from heaven. Um, later on, when uh, Jesus is in front of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Sanhedrin, when he's in front of the Pharisees, he's being judged, uh, he's been arrested, and they want to know, can we, you know, are we going to attach this accusation to you that you're, you're, you're claiming to be a, uh, a king. And, and for Jesus to claim to be a Messiah and claim to be a king, we're thinking, what's so bad about that? Well, that would be a threat to the rule of the Romans. That would be like, uh, it's, a, it's a treasonous statement. And, so and besides, they just want to hang something on him. Did you say this? Did you say this? And finally, Jesus says, yes. And soon you will see the Son of Man, at the right hand of the throne of God. Where does that image come from? It comes from Psalm 110, among other places. That causes them to get very upset. They put on a display. Oh, oh, can't believe we heard such blasphemy. What did they expect? That's the answer they wanted. It's what they needed, but for all the wrong reasons. You'll see Paul go over this in 1 Corinthians 15. He quotes from this scripture, from Psalm 110, to say that uh, his enemies will become his footstool. He, he will rule over his enemies, and the last enemy that uh, will be subdued is death. Hebrews loves Psalm 110. You start reading through Hebrews, and the verses of Psalm 110 come up over and over again in Hebrews 1. Hebrews uh, 6, 
it, it, it's, it's all over the place. And, and especially that image of um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Did God ever say that to any of the angels? No. Just to his son, just to the Christ. Um, he's, we have a great high priest. How can he be a high priest if he's not descended from the high priest? Ah, he's a different, he's a priest of a different order. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, an eternal priest. So now we have all of these images that we attach to Christ. You see the, uh, in Hebrews, Scripture making sense of Psalm 110. Hebrews really is a sermon. And it's a sermon that uses, among other texts, Psalms 110 as its uh, Scripture for the sermon and it explains it to people. And, and, and the message, which this isn't alone in Hebrews, is to say that there's these images in Psalm 110 help us make sense of Jesus Christ. He's at the right hand of God in heaven. He's going to rule over all his enemies. Not just enemies on earth, but the enemies in the invisible places, the, uh, the enemies in the cosmos. And, and, and by the way, you see that over and over again in Paul's scriptures when he will talk about the rulers and the powers and the authorities. He's talking about invisible structures of rule and authority, powers that have their way with us. And if you're worried that that points to some kind of spiritual paganism in scripture, not necessarily. You know, let me... Let me give you an example of a power that rules over us. Um, they're good powers. They're bad powers. They're indifferent powers. Um, if someone raises the American flag and they start playing the Star-Spangled Banner, you and I are going to react, aren't we? We're going to stand up. We're going to put our hands over our heart, most of us. You know, we're going to sing the song. We get that. We know that. Why? Well, that's what it means to be Americans. That's what it means to be us. It's what we do. We participate in this. Okay, that's a power. If that power is obedient to God, good. If it's not, it needs to be. There's other powers. Um, when the Federal Reserve changes the interest rates, it affects all of us. It affects a lot of other things. Well, yeah, but that's just a group of people, is it? How do they come to their decisions? Where does it come from? It's more than just a group of people. It's a, it's a greater, it's a greater uh, force than just the people that make it up. It's tax season. We all have to deal with the Internal Revenue Service. Have you ever tried to call the Internal Revenue Service? I don't know how you get in touch with them. They have a strange address, just Internal Revenue Service, Washington, D.C., end of story. I'm convinced there's a big machine in there somewhere that's ruling it all. But these are the things that affect our lives, the economy, we might call it. Uh, peace. You can even have things closer to home. The holidays. How often do we talk about the holidays and how that impacts us? When the holiday season or the holiday stress is obedient to God, obedient to Christ, it's good. When it's not, it needs to be. 
all of those things are the powers that are under the rule of Jesus Christ now. As long as everything is under his rule, it's right where it needs to be. And when it's not, it's in rebellion. There's an infinite variety of what those powers are. You're never going to just find their address and locate them and identify them by name. It's all sorts of things. It's what we create that's greater than us. But Jesus Christ rules over all of that. We cannot create something greater than him. And Psalm 110 is where the early church understood that. They lived in a world where they understood that there were things bigger than them, that every emperor was not just a particular emperor of Rome that would rule for a while and then go away, but that every emperor of Rome was the emperor of Rome and represented the power of Rome and what that meant for the world that they lived in and how it shaped their lives and affected them. And suddenly they have this psalm that says, wait, but the one who is risen, you, they'd, they'd heard these events about Jesus Christ. Some of them had seen with their own eyes the risen Jesus. And now they're making sense of this and they're saying, he rules over it all. Even over the emperor? Yes, even over the emperor. And they go to Psalm 110 to find the words to express this new reality of Jesus Christ. He is the king over all kings. Well, what about a king that wants to oppose him? It won't work. No, they won't, they won't last. Because he's eternal and they're not. Some churches found that there were uh, Jewish people who didn't believe in Jesus. And so for a time there, before 70 A.D., they were cut off from the temple. They weren't, allow- they weren't allowed to participate. When you look at the early church, where were they meeting in the, in the first century? They were meeting at the temple, just like the other Jews. They believed that that was where God's name was, and they, they owned that story. And then, and then they get separated from that, and there's some tension there. What are we going to do now? We don't have access to the temple. But we've got a priest of a different order. And they go to Psalm 110, and they find it. Scripture knows Scripture. And so when you see Scripture in the Old Testament being quoted in the New Testament, just understand that this is a very special thing. This, this, is, this is the earliest group of Christian believers doing exactly what you and I strive to do. Go to God's Word and understand God. They're doing the, the Hebrews is doing the same thing that you and I strive to do every time we come to Bible study. To understand what God is up to. What a wonderful, special thing that is. We'll look at more of this in the future uh, and probably look at some other examples of that. But that's just one example to show you that there's a Bible in the Bible. Right now, uh, we are going to uh, finish up with this song. If you need to partake of communion, it's in uh, room 100. And then we'll be dismissed in prayer after that. So let's stand. Let's sing together.